the Gospel of St. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 23. And while you're turning, let me just explain something that we're doing. We're, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just tell you a couple quick things while you're turning to Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. Some, some fun facts, hopefully, about the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, this, this sermon was very, very... Um, I'm going to talk loud because I want, I want the people in the kitchen, I want the people in the kitchen to hear this uh, sermon uh, as well, uh, what I'm talking about. Because I'm talking about a subject that Jesus spent a lot of time on, and it was a subject of forgiveness. I'm just moving some of the trip hazards out of the way so I don't end up on the floor. Um, that wouldn't be good. So uh, Jesus, this sermon, by the way, on the mount was very controversial for its time. And what I mean by that is Jesus discussed some subject here, some subjects that were not typically in the uh, public domain. That is, he challenged some people that were not really in a mood to be challenged. He challenged this, the government hierarchy. He challenged the religious uh, stronghold of the day the people that were in charge of public thought and opinion, Jesus went after these guys, okay? This sermon was controversial because it dealt with different races. It dealt with women. It dealt with classism. It dealt with um, money. It dealt with social values. And these were all subjects that the typical rabbis and priests did not talk about in that day because no one challenged the establishment. No one would want to challenge the status quo. But Jesus just went after these guys. He was like a bull in a china shop. He was just wrecking everything. He was going after institutions and traditions that were sacred and non non, you know, per, persona non grata. They weren't available for normal people to challenge. And Jesus went after these things. And he was fearless. And he didn't have a security detail to back him up. It wasn't like when the president travels, he has Secret Service, FBI, all these other, you know, armed security guards. He has the military to back him up if necessary. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys read this, but you know, uh, when Queen Elizabeth, her funeral, I think it was Monday, um, well, they were having dignitaries and heads of state from all over the world come. So they said, for security reasons, we're going to have you guys move about in a bus. We're going to have these buses because we don't have just so much traffic in, in London. We don't really want all these various limos and guard details all over town. So we want to move you guys in mass transportation. President, Bi President Biden said, not me. I mean, he, he flew over in Air Force One. He flew the presidential limo over. He flew all this, this special long-distance uh, this security uh, team, I heard it cost over $100,000 for just like one one item to, to be moved over the way he had to do it because he has his own security protocol and he wasn't going to forfeit that or surrender that 
to England's protocol. And so, what, so one president said, well, if Biden is doing it, I'm just as important to my country as, as he is to his. So, so they, it, it was just a collapse in trying to formalize these heads of state, these world leaders, to comply to a certain protocol. Well, guess what? That's what the Lord did. He just went in and he just wrecked everything. He said, no, we're not. I'm going to tell you what you're doing is not right. It's not going to be the established way. It's not the right way. Men look at the outward appearance, but God is the heart. And this whole Sermon on the Mount is about challenging traditional values that people were doing outwardly, mechanically, robotically, but there was no heart in it. There was no thought. The motives, the driving passion was empty. They were just dead inside. And the Lord said, I'm going to call you out on it. So one of them was forgiveness. So Jesus just went after people that were just going to worship services every week and not speaking to people. Worshiping with people that they couldn't even talk to. Worshiping God and ignoring Johnny. Worshiping God and ignoring Susie. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 regarding that. This, this hypocrisy. He said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you. Let me just pause for a minute. When I started this series on the Sermon on the Mount, the first subject we attacked was righteousness, what real righteousness is. The second subject that we approached was prayer. The third subject we're approaching is forgiveness. So you see in a pattern, Jesus went after all of these things that people thought they had down pat. Everybody thought they was righteous. But Jesus said, oh, no, 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 no. Unless your righteousness exceeds, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisee. These were guys that kept 623 laws, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> they wrote them down. They wrote up some on their wrists, some on their forehead. They were, they were ostentatiously fasting in the streets and praying and not washing their faces and praying out loud on the street corner. They were wearing their religion on their sleeves. Jesus said, that ain't righteousness. You got to do better than that. They were praying all these prayers, all this repetition. Jesus said, that ain't prayer. Y'all need to change that. Don't get fooled by these cats. Don't let their religious black robes and Oops. Um, don't let their uh, <laughs> don't don't let their flowing gowns and uh, uh, their their hats and so forth fool you. That you need to look at their hearts. So here's what he says. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent. I'm going to stop right there. Jesus said in the disciples' prayer in St. Matthew 6:12, and forgive us our debts as we for also forgive our debtors. I love that. Peter asked an amazing question of Jesus regarding forgiveness. Peter said to Jesus in Matthew 18, 21, he said, then Peter said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Matter of fact, in Luke 17, Jesus amends it a little more. and Luke gives us a different angle. He says, if your brother sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Here's the way it worked. The Hebrew law worked like this. The rabbis taught if somebody offends you or someone gets on your nerves or does you wrong, they can do it three times. And after three times, you don't have to forgive them anymore. That's what they taught. That's what they taught. They added that to the Torah, the Pentateuch. They added that to the Hebrew uh, uh, sets of rules that three times, three strikes, and you're out. Sound familiar? So, so the fourth time, you weren't obligated to forgive a person. Now, I don't know if that was three times per day or three times, period. My guess is it was probably three times, period, from what I could ascertain, looking at some Hebrew manuscripts. But what Jesus, Peter said, well, I'm going to go further than that, Lord, since seven is your God's complete number. What if we forgive our brother seven times? As, you know, Peter being very magnanimous, saying, hey, how about I'm going to go the next mile? I'm going to double that, what the, what the rabbis teach. Jesus said, even seven times isn't enough. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, you're to forgive them if they ask you to forgive them every time. Now, they got to ask from their heart. They can't just say, okay, forgive me. You know, it can't be one of these verbal, non-committed requests. It has to be meaningful, right? So Jesus really is raising the bar here. And so he's saying that the emphasis should be on not whose fault it is, because that's what we like to do as individuals. We like to play the blame game. I'm willing to apologize as long as, I'm willing to accept your apology as long as it's your fault. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I'm willing to apologize as long as it's your fault, but I'm not going to apologize if, uh, if I didn't do anything wrong. But Jesus changed that, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus changed it. Here's what Jesus said. He said, when you're going to church and you remember that the air isn't clean between you and a brother or sister, he doesn't assign blame. Watch this. He says, when well, you remember, that is, the onus is on you because you're aware of it. The Bible says that him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, what? To him it is sin, right? So Jesus is dropping this bomb. He said, guess what? If you have a problem, me and Brother Cole have a problem, it's typically going to be Brother Cole's fault. But let's just say that he and I have a problem. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Just kidding. Me and Brother Cole, we have an issue. It's, it's, and I remember uh, that Brother Cole is upset with me about something. It's my job. to. I'm not off the hook if it's Brother Cole's fault. Right? That's what Jesus, this is, just a, this is just amazing. He says, it's not your fault. And so I started looking into forgiveness, and I, and I found out that forgiveness is not about blame. It's not about culpability. Forgiveness is about freedom. Forgiveness is about release. It's about doing what's right for God. Not what's right for me. I may not come out on top. But it's not about who was wrong or who was injured. It's about who has the first opportunity to reconcile. 
I call it no fault forgiveness. <laughs> everybody, everybody is responsible for making it right. Everybody's responsible. If there's somebody in here that you're not speaking to right now, stop right now. Don't put your offering in the box. Don't sing another song. Go to that person and say, you know what? I really don't like you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. No, no, don't do that. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Here's what Jesus said you do. He said, when you're giving your altar at your offering, at the altar, when you're worshiping, and you remember that your brother has an alt against you, he, whether you initiated it or not, he says, go and make that right before you offer your offering. In other words, get your heart right with me and your brother before you worship and offer sacrifice. Amen? Amen. So actually, the Lord discusses a few types of, of forgiveness in the Bible. It's not just one. Here's one. I'm going to call it forgiveness. I'm going to call it reconciliation forgiveness. That's when you make things right, whether you're the offender or the offendee. And here's what Jesus says about that. Watch this. I love this. He makes this so clear to me, at least in scripture, regarding that forgiveness type. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And watch this. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Are you all with me on that? In other words, is in other words, he's saying that you're not in the right of way because you were wronged because true forgiveness is not keeping track, not keeping score of who was wrong. Amen. That's what a lot of us do. Well, look, I've, I've forgiven this dude three times. I put up with this and now I'm through with them. I don't have anything left for them. How many of you have said that before? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Because I'm going to look at you funny if you don't raise your hand. So, <laughs> no, we all have said something like that, that we've had enough, right? I love what he says here in 1 Corinthians 30. He said, no, love doesn't keep track. Forgiveness doesn't keep record of being wrong. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault. If he listens, you go between him and him alone. In other words, don't tell Chris about it. Don't tell Mark about it. Don't tell Tim about it. And definitely don't tell Rick about it. Tell the person about it, right? If it's between you and Brother Cole, go to Brother Cole. Not to Rod. Okay? That's, I'm just telling you guys what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. So that's reconciliation. I call that forgiveness that's no fault. You make it right regardless of how it happened and who started and how many times it happened. Is that hard or what? That's hard. When I sent, when I sent the notes out this week, so Lillian sent me an email. Lillian, I'm not trying to embarrass her. She said, this is a hard one. Yeah, this is hard. I don't know about this. You, I, may, I may have to just get the cliff notes on that one, Pastor Will, because this, this is just hard to do. And, and you know what? Reconciliation is hard. But you know what makes it easier? You know why we have to do it? Because God forgives us. That's the thing that you got to concern yourself with. If you don't forgive your brother and sister, God won't forgive you. How many of us could live without forgiveness? 
Because we mess up every day, right? Well, a few of you guys probably don't, but most of us probably mess up in some. And guess what? You say, well, I don't mess up. Well, there are more than just sins of commission. There are sins of omission. Failing to do something that you should do. It ain't just what you do to somebody. It's what you didn't do. Speaks volumes, doesn't it? It does. It really does. As a matter of fact, I was looking at something regarding this type of forgiveness, and I came across a couple of quotes that I thought were just amazing. This one quote says, unforgiveness is like an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than anything on which it is poured. I read another quote about unforgiveness that says, unforgiveness is the only chemical that will destroy the container that it's in, you. Another unforgiveness quote, which I thought was really great, says unforgiveness is like drinking deadly poison and expecting the other person to die. I'll say that one again. Unforgiveness is like drinking a deadly poison, but expecting the other person to die. But what they're saying is, is that unforgiveness is like we're punishing. We think that when we don't reconcile or forgive that we're getting our pound of flesh. We're punishing the other person. No, I ain't accepting their apology. They insulted me. They were rude. They hurt my feelings. They were gossiping. They were backbiting. No, I ain't got nothing for them. Right? We wouldn't say it out loud, but we say it in our mind. And y'all might even add a few other explicatives if you weren't in the church about that person that did that. Because you're upset. You're mad. You're angry. And you ain't trying to hear no apology. I don't want to hear your apology. I'm mad at you. And I need to stew for a while. <laughs> Before I let it go, I need to make you feel my pain. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, the person that pursues revenge should dig two graves. Because you're killing, while, while you're trying to kill the other guy, you're killing yourself. Because unforgiveness is like acid. It's poisonous. It's cancerous. It eats away at us. For unforgiveness is not just about hurting the other person. You get hurt in the process. You have to get hurt in order to continue to hold the grudge against the other person. That's why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's not our job to get our pound of flesh. It's not our job to even the score. It's not our job to retaliate. I know this is a hard sermon, and I, I understand your, your silence, and I appreciate that because it was very difficult for me as well because this is a tough message for any of us to receive. Forgiveness is hard, and Jesus really hammered it. It wasn't the only time he talked about it. He talked about it again in Matthew 16. He talked about it again in Matthew 18. Matter of fact, he talked about it so many times that I had to leave Matthew and go to Luke. And I went to Luke chapter 7, and Jesus talked about it again. He was at a dinner celebration at the house of Simon, not Simon Peter, another Simon. And you can read about this in Luke chapter 7. Why is this a beautiful thing? They're having dinner, right? And this prostitute wasn't Mary, not that prostitute, another prostitute came to the dinner. How she got in, we don't know. There are certain theories on how people could have, have been entered a dinner of a dignitary in those days. That's unimportant. The fact is she got in, she anointed Jesus' feet with this expensive oil. She cried over his feet and she washed his feet with her tears. 
She kissed him multiple times respectfully, a greeting kiss, not a sensual, loving, intimate kiss. And she treated him like the host and dignitary and important person and VIP that he was. Simon, the host of the house, never did any of these things. Okay? So, so Simon said, and they were whispering, you know how y'all gossip? Rather than talking to Jesus, they pull Rod over and say, Rod, dude, if he knew who this, if he's a prophet, how does he not know who she is? Come on. We all know this woman is a woman of reputation. But that's what we do, some of us today. We, we address our issues with everybody except the primary person. And that's how stuff gets started. I heard Michael Rydell next day the other day on Moody that when you reconcile, you also have to remunerate. In other words, you have to make a payment. You, you, when you say I'm sorry, you have to also clean up whatever damage and collateral effects there were by going back to the people that you poisoned that person with and saying, you know what, I was wrong for talking about Rod. I got to go and tell Rod, you know what I said about Rod? I was wrong. Rod is cool. Sometimes we'll apologize to Rod, but not clean up the collateral damage with Reg. That was very illuminating. Jesus said, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a story. And so Simon sat and said, okay, what is the story? He said, there were two men who owed the king a lot of money. One owed the king 50 denarii. Actually, I think it was 500. Let me just see. Let me just check my facts. Fact check. Uh, I see here in Luke, Luke 7. He said one owed him. One owed him. Wait a minute. One guy owed him 50 denarii. And that's basically uh, a day's wages. And the other one owed him 500. 500, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And so he said, the, neither one of them were able to pay the debt. Which one, yeah, it's 500 in verse, in verse 41, it's 550. I have in my notes here that 500 denarii was basically two years of income. 50 was one year of income. So it's a lot of money. They're both a lot of money. It says neither one of them were able to pay back the debt. So the king forgave them of the debt. By the way, by the way, let me just say this before I give you the punchline of the story. The king forgave them. That's how the Lord does us. But he also, watch this, he gifted them the debt. So not only was it a forgiven debt, he actually gifted them the money that they owed him. So not only was the debt erased, not only was the debt satisfied, but it was like the debt existed no more because it was never a debt, it was a gift. You all with me? Okay, say, say you borrow 100 bucks from Brother Cole. Brother Cole, say, why am I all up in your sermon? Because you're sitting there, Brother Cole. You weren't in the sermon last week because you weren't here because you should have been here. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Brother Cole say, I ain't coming next Sunday either. <laughs> if, I, if I have to be the subject here, I ain't coming. So you owe Brother Cole 100 bucks. 
and I can't pay Brother Cole back. Brother Cole being a nice guy that he is, and he really is, he'll say, you know what, Pastor Will, I forgive you today. You don't owe me nothing. But on top of that, guess what? The $100 that you borrowed from me, that's a gift to you. I'm gifting that to you. So it was never a loan to begin with. You see, that's what happened in this case. They had no way to pay. Who can pay back two years of wages? Anybody got two years of wages saved up that you could pay the bank tomorrow? If you do, then you need to increase your tithes to the church. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but two years of wages or even two months of wages, neither could pay the debt. The king forgave both debts. But here's the beautiful part. What Jesus said was, not only did he forgive the debts, he granted them the money as a gift, but he said to them, you are like, this, this lady is like those debtors. They didn't give her a name, by the way. It's, it's, that's, I want you guys to know that this is one of the other nameless people I could have preached on a few months ago when I was doing my unlikely people. He said that she loved me much because she was forgiven much. Her response to me is based on what she knows she has received from me. And I think that's the reason a lot of people are kind of stingy with their forgiveness because they don't always recognize how much God has forgiven us and what he's done for us. So we're not thinking about that we are benefactors of the greatest benevolence and grace ever heard of on earth that we can never pay God back, that there's not enough tea in China for us to give God back what he's worth. And we forget about that and we get stingy with our brother and sister. Jesus had the same example over Matthew 18 about a debt that a guy couldn't pay and the king forgave him the debt. It was millions actually translated in today's currency. It was billions of dollars. And then somebody owed him a couple hundred dollars and he had the person thrown in jail. Some of us are like that. We forget about how good God has been to us. We forget it and then we don't show it to others. I'm wrapping it up. Here's, here's, here's my final sets of thoughts. I was looking at this particular parable in Luke 7. And it came to my attention that the person that Jesus forgave, the lady, was just as spiritually bankrupt as Simon. Or Simon was just as spiritually bankrupt as her before she came. But the lady realized that God had forgiven her. And Simon didn't. Because the lady's sins were known by everybody, Simon's sins were probably hidden to everyone except God. Simon was spiritually bankrupt, even though he didn't recognize it. He thought he was okay because he was a high society person. He thought he was okay because he wasn't trafficking with prostitutes or drug dealers or murderers or criminals. So he felt that he was better than everybody else. He was basing his righteousness on what I call grading on the curve. He thought because he was better than John Doe that he was good with God. Well, because we're, quote, unquote, better than the next guy, still don't mean that we've reached God's bar. God's bar is perfection. God's bar is Jesus. Are we better than him? No. So if we're not perfect as Jesus was perfect, then there's still work to be done, and we should be humble, and we should be submissive, 
and contrite and repentant. Amen? So forgiveness is so important. I'm closing by telling you that forgiveness is so important because Jesus taught about it so many times, which suggests to me that it's a problem that what he felt was important then, and I feel that is important now. Amen? Amen. I think that you should take it seriously. I looked at a couple of books that I recommend to you as resources if you're dealing with, with unforgiveness to the point that it's causing psychosomatic disorders and physical problems. There's a great resource called The Forgiveness Project by a pastor and Dr. Michael Berry who wrote, he said in the book, and I just lifted a quote because I thought it was good. He said, he said, quote unquote, it's important to treat emotional wounds or disorders because they can really hinder someone's reaction to treatments and therapy even someone's unwillingness to forgive. He actually wrote, writes an entire uh, uh, chapter on forgiveness therapy and how forgiveness therapy is now used in hospitals for, for treatment of disease because people are suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, and some of it, if not most of it, stems from unresolved forgiveness. Holding on to a grudge wanting to get your day in court, wanting to extract your pound of flesh from the other guy. So we don't forgive. We may say we forgive with our mouths, but our hearts are far from it. Jesus said forgiveness needs to be absolute, unconditional, unconditional. I mean, completely forgiven where there's, as, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, no record of it. Like this case that I read about George Wilson. Actually, I printed it out. You might want a copy of it. This is the only guy in the United States history, United States versus George Wilson in 1833. He was convicted of murder or attempted murder, six felony counts for robbing the postal service. I thought people only went postal in this century. Um, he was set to be executed. Uh, some of his friends appeal, appeal to President Andrew Jackson, who listened to this, guys. He issued him a formal, unconditional pardon. You can look this up at several, several places. I didn't just stop at Wikipedia. I actually read the, uh, the case file on it, the, the, the brief that was filed by the Supreme Court, because it was such an amazing case, perhaps the only case in history where a pardon was granted, a full, unconditional pardon to this guy for murder because he was going to be hung. It sent, they, it, he, was sentenced and he was sentenced to be executed by hanging. Listen to this. The guy turned down the pardon. He said, no, I don't want the pardon. Well, it was so confusing that the lawyers and judges had to submit this to the Supreme Court because a lower court had never handled such a case where a person actually rejected a presidential pardon. So the attorney general who considered the case said the following, the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of a pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. In other words, George Wilson committed a crime. He was tried and found guilty. He was sentenced to be executed by hanging. A presidential degree granted him a full unconditional pardon, but George Wilson, rather than accept the pardon, refused it. So the courts concluded that the part could not be forced on him, so he's welcome to be hung, hanged. He was executed. And here's what's, here's what's interesting about it. I love this one line that I thought just stood out to me because it's almost sounded scripturally. 
the judge, Chief Justice John Marshall, who wrote one of the hearings or one of the briefs on it, he said that a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged, and he was. And I thought about this, and I said, this may sound bizarre. It may sound, what on earth was he thinking? What was he smoking? What was he drinking? Well, I thought about it. People refuse the pardon that Jesus offers every day. People directly or indirectly choose not to be forgiven by the Lord who died for our sins and granted us a full unconditional pardon, both for unbelievers to become believers and for believers to remain believers. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he goes a step further. Like what Brother Cole did for me, he not only said I didn't have to pay him back the $100, he said keep the $100 as a gift. That's Jesus saying not only does he forgive us of our sins, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. As though, watch this, watch this, because I'm almost done. You got to watch this. As though, and here's the real kicker, as though it never happened. It's one thing to forgive a person for insulting you, for stealing from you, for violating you. It's another thing to not only forgive them, but act like it never happened. I can still speak. We're still boys. We're still on good terms. We're still friends. We can still break bread together. That's a whole different level of forgiveness. And Jesus said, you're not just, it's not just good enough to say, I'm sorry. There has to be complete, total, unconditional reconciliation. I know, I know. I got to quit because I'm thinking like, Pastor Will, everybody is saying to you, how can we do that? How can we do that? I have no idea how to do that. How do I do that when someone has just destroyed me? Reputationally, physically, emotionally, financially? How, how can I let that go? And you know what the Lord says in his word? Here's how we let it go. We don't let it go. We give it to him. And he lets it go. He releases it. He does it. And I'll show you how. Here, here's how he does it. I, I put it in my notes. I said, make sure you tell him about the release. Because I think that's another form of forgiveness that we sometimes overlook. Here's how we release it. Here's what the word says about that type, that type of release. He says, forbearing one another forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, you do also. With lowliness and meekness, Ephesians 4 says, forbearing one another in love because we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's, that's how we do it. We do it by going the extra mile, by saying, Lord, I can't do this but you can do this through me. I don't have the strength to say I'm sorry, or I don't have the strength to say I accept your apology, but you do, and I yield to you, and I ask you, Lord, to help me because you, you have forgiven me of worse things.
This is bad what they've done to me. This is bad what they said about me. But you've actually forgiven me of worse. How dare I not forgive them of this? Who am I that I can hold this over them? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for Luke 7 and Matthew 18 and Matthew 5. Lord, tough subject, but we ask you to help us with interpersonal relationships. We ask you, Lord, to help us in terms of our relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters, with our biological brothers and sisters, with our friends and colleagues and acquaintances and coworkers and neighbors. Help us to realize that we too are not above reproach and that we too have been forgiven of much. Help us, Lord, to do a better job of saying I'm sorry. As Sister Marie sang in the song, I'm sorry. When, when I, I, I don't always say or do the right thing, Lord, and you forgive me, help me to show the same kind of grace and mercy to my brothers and sisters. Help me to humble myself and do that that is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the Monday morning moment, because if I don't say it, Brother Cliff back there will be asking me, Pastor Will, what's the Monday morning moment? The Monday morning moment, Brother Cliff, and those listening is, forgiveness is about freedom. Spiritual, emotional, and physical freedom. I'll repeat it. Forgiveness is about freedom. Spiritual, emotional, and physical. I thought about forgiveness and I thought about unforgiveness. And you know what? It boils down to pride. A lot of times we don't say, I'm sorry. Or a lot of times we don't accept a person's apology because of pride. Our pride. Thinking that we're too good to say I'm sorry to someone that we feel has hurt us and wounded us. Or, or we're too good to accept a person's apology because we feel like they're not being contrite enough. They're not being apologetic enough. We sometimes want people to grovel. Oh, he only said I'm sorry once. And he said it on the go. In a text. In a tweet. On an Instagram post. You, you can't say I'm sorry electronically. Well, I think you can, but I think that it needs to be more than that. Don't, don't, don't hit me up, you know, with a DM and say I'm sorry, because you can do that electronically or just click a little automatic. You know, I don't know if you guys have seen some of these responses that Microsoft is putting in Outlook. You can just click the response, and you don't have to type it out. You can just click. No problem, I'll get right on that. Or, okay, thank you, or whatever. That, you don't give an automated response as an apology, right? At least come up with your own lines. <laughs> I mean, don't send me an emoji saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that it needs to come from the heart. And I'm sorry, I think some of us need to go a little more old school and pick up the phone or go face to face and say, you know what, I'm sorry, man. I was wrong. <laughs>